Welcome. Sorry to interrupt your lunch, but we're going to get started here. Um, my name is Emma Cox. I'm with North American Sustainability for McDonald's. I'm also a former board member. Very sad. Today was my first board meeting, not at, but um, of course I got roped into being the moderator here, so I can't get away. Um, so welcome, everyone. I have the pleasure of uh, moderating the panel and also introducing the wonderful speakers that we have here today. So just a note, I won't be going over the full bios. Please refer to the bios on your table. There are very um, in-depth bios there. But I'll be just kind of pulling some highlights from those this, um, to introduce our speakers. So we have Susan Heinking, Vice President of, Pepper Const uh, of Sustainability for Pepper Construction. She's a lead fellow and currently sits on the Illinois Green Alliance Board of Directors. Dave Hubka is Director of Program Development at Rivian. He is a lead fellow and has experience on over 300 lead projects and, one, and was also one of the writers of the Well exam. Amy Jewell is the Senior City Advisor for the Institute for Market Transformation, and she's worked uh, directly with the Mayor's Office on a number of sustainability-related projects, specifically within energy, recycling, and water. And John Malade, Senior Project Manager for Sustainable and Healthy Environments, uh, happens to be Living Future Accredited, Well Faculty, Lead Fellow, Reset ASP, FitWell Ambassador, and Lead AP for BDNC and O&M. So uh, he's one of those. Yeah. So uh, welcome to our panelists. So a little bit um, about me, and every speaker is going to do a little uh, introduction and give you some context as to why they're here today. So. Um, I like to say I'm, I'm a scared environmentalist um, who likes uh, apoc apocalyptic shows. Um, so what I really don't want to happen is for the left-hand picture to turn into the right-hand right picture. That scares me. And why am I scared of that? Because I have an amazing family. My husband's actually here today, so he's here to make me extra nervous. Thank you. Um, and I want them to see the picture on the left. Um, I got my lead green associate out of college because I thought it would make me look cool and get me a job. I also, uh, when Well came out, was fascinated with the whole concept and decided to get my Well AP as well. I am now uh, leading renewable energy for McDonald's, and I took the opportunity at McDonald's um, because I saw it as a great opportunity to make a big difference at scale. Okay. So to ground us, I thought it would be really helpful to very briefly, lightning round style, go over what lead and well are. Um, so I'm assuming that most people in the room know what these rating systems are, so this will serve mostly as a reminder, uh, refresher for most of you. So going back in time, the US Green Building Council was founded in 1993. And then in 2000, um, they unveiled the LEAD, which stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, the LEAD rating system. So today, uh, LEAD is the most wide, widely used green building rating system in the world, uh, which is why we all know about it today. GBCI, which stands for the Green Business Certification, Inc., is a third-party certification body for LEAD. It's also the third party uh, certification system for well. 
and LEED is very widespread and well adopted within the built environment, not just within corporate real estate, but also within residential. So um, what is the business case for LEED? So this slide is actually from the US Green Building Council. And so USGBC claims that LEED reduces operating costs, lowers employee absenteeism and turnover, increases resale value, reduces time on the market, speeds up lease rates, um, and overall reduces risk, which I would assume they mean operationally and maybe even in terms of overall investment. This is definitely something I want to revisit with the panelists later. And as a reminder to those in the room, um, I wanted to throw up these rating categories uh, on the screen here. The latest lead rating system has these categories, integrative process, location and transportation, sustainable sites, water efficiency, energy and atmosphere, materials and resources, indoor environmental quality, uh, with the bonus categories in innovation and regional priority. Okay, next we have well. So the well building standard is a performance-based system for measuring, certifying, and monitoring features of the built environment that impact human health and well-being. So well was born from what IWBI calls the healthy building movement um, as a way to combat sick building syndrome, a concept that describes buildings that have poor indoor, indoor air quality, prohibit productivity, and overall affect human health negatively. It was launched in October of 2014, um, so 14 years after LEED and after six years of medical and scientific research. And while LEED seems to have been created to benefit our outside environment, WELL was really created for the people that live and work in our buildings. So I think we've all seen this statistic that we spend about 90% of our time indoors. indoors. Um, so why not build buildings that promote healthy decisions, promote productivity, and overall make us happier? And just like LEED, WELL was, uh, has an accreditation for humans and a certification for buildings. Show of hands in the room, who here is LEED, LEED accredited? Okay, and who here is well accredited? Okay. And since its inception in 2014, adoption has really taken off with well, um, with over 7,000 people accredited or registered to be accredited and 1,500 projects certified. And as you can see, um, it has a similar evolution to LEED, and it's already in its second iteration um, with WELL version two. So again, people remains at the center of WELL. It focuses on human behavior as an influence for the design and operations of a building, and highlighting that people should really be at the center of how we design, build, and operate our buildings. And again, as a reminder, wanted to throw these categories up on the screen um, that well covers air, water, nourishment, light, movement, thermal comfort, sound, materials, mind, and community. All right, so enough of me talking, but this is kind of what we're here to talk about today. So let's get to the meat of our discussion. So is there a synergy between lead and well? Um, should we be considering others? There are other logos on the board here that you probably recognize. Um, when, you know, 
when you go for one, do you go for them all? If you only go for one, how do you pick them? And what does all this mean? So let's hear from the experts. We're going to start with Susan. Hi. Um, again, I'm with Pepper Construction, and we are High Performance and Sustainability Division. I just thought I'd kind of share where I came from. Um, might give you a little uh, better understanding of my perspective and kind of how I view sustainability with regards to kind of LEED and WELL and, and all the different programs out there. So before I became a contractor, I was actually an architect. I went to school at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, where I spent basically every single weekend hiking in the woods. That's where Shawnee National Forest is. So if you're not familiar with it, look it up because it's a little, little gym down, down state. This is a, a picture from our spring break. Um, all the adults are my college friends, and all the kids are our kids. Um, so we kind of took our kids back there to kind of show them. This is uh, Little Grand Canyon. So huge rock formations, not very safe bringing like a three-year-old down, but we did it anyway. Um, but the, the whole point is that my whole sustainability passion started in the woods uh, because I was always kind of immersed in nature. And going through architecture, I was always trying to figure out how do we unify nature in our buildings and ourselves. That's kind of like where my perspective was. And then... The kids named us the Rock Squad of 2019, so that's pretty amazing in itself. Um, so transferring over from architecture, because you know design is design, and there's that creative, that artistic um, perspective there. Going into construction, where actually the rubber hits the road, and this is what we're building. You know, we talk about lead and well from our end product spaces. You know, where the where the occupants are actually going to work every day. But what we haven't really started the conversation is, is with our job sites. So we think of our construction job sites as temporary, maybe transitional spaces, but our job sites are where my career is every day now. You know, we have people in the field that have been 30, 40 years in a construction site. And so we kind of take that for granted because we're always just kind of focused on the prize, right? We're focused on the end goal. And we kind of, we want to, at Pepper, we want to flip that on its head and say, you know what, job sites are workplaces too. How can we make that better for the people building the building? And if we can make a better job site, that's all going to end up in a better end product for our clients. So um, what you're seeing on the screen here is our newly unveiled net zero construction trailer. It's completely off the grid. Um, and it has super nice interiors as well. So we really kind of wanted to take that corporate interiors feel and apply it to a construction trailer. So when you walk in, it's not like, oh, well, I'm in a, you know, a 1970s wood panel, you know, whatever construction trailer. I'm in a nice working environment that has flexible spaces, that has nice finishes, that has ample amount of daylight that I, I'm actually thermally comfortable in and I can uh, kind of do my, my work day day to day. So that's a little bit about me. Yep. Okay. My name is Dave Hupka. I work for a sustainable building consultant. I guess, you know, I stumbled upon, upon LEED in sustainability. I'm a recovering engineer. I used to design the mechanical systems for these big buildings, and I didn't really, it's too boring for me, quite honestly. So I, I, I got a LEED accreditation maybe 12, 13 years ago. I've been working on LEED ever since. Last four or five, I've been dabbling in well. I was lucky enough to write some of the well questions for the exam. If you ever get stuck on a question, the answer is D, D for Dave, because all my answers were D. Um, 
I got paid $300 honorarium to write the exam, but it cost me like $450 to take the exam. So the really, the joke's on me in that, in that scenario. Um, I work all over the world. Um, my big customer is a manufacturing company. So most of my work is, you know, I was in Amsterdam last month in Australia, Europe, Asia. I've learned a lot of geography in the last, you know, five to 10 years and different cultures and such. But what I have learned is that you can be sustainable everywhere in the world and any building project type with any type of delivery method is what I have found. Oh, but those are my slides. You might have to come back. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, did you want to go through this? Thing? Should I go through the slides quickly? Oh, oh sorry. I'm sorry. All right, I'm going to buzz through these. So, you know how Emma talked about people, planet, go for lead, go for well. Should we save the people or save the planet? I don't know. Should we do both? I mean, I've been on a couple of projects where they did lead and well at the same time, and can you say rating system fatigue? There's so much going on. I think you, you're fatigued. I've done 300 lead projects. I'm fatigued every single day. Um, but we can go for both, in a sense. And well, let's take a step back. Why would we certify in the first place? Why should we certify? Let me tell you a quick story about the Cooney Island elephant. This is back in Cooney Island, 1885, built entirely out of wood, no fire alarms, no fire suppression system, no fire escapes. You could smoke everywhere. What do you think happened to this building? In about 18 seconds, it burnt to the ground. And they said, huh, maybe we should have some type of life code, because living is good and dying, not as good. Let's have safety codes, let's have energy codes, let's have water codes, let's have all these different codes to say, what's our minimum level of sustainability? Because that's really where it starts. It's code. But code doesn't have a marketing department. Code's not sexy. Everything everybody says is up to code. Well, if code's the worst you can do, isn't it everything down to code? And we got brought aboard because we were the lowest bidders. And the owner wanted to get in yesterday, so we built it as fast as possible, as cheap as possible, and as quick as possible, and as bad as possible. Huh, I don't feel so good about this building. Let's certify. Well, I put these buzzwords up here for a while because we know about lead. We know about save energy, save the whales, save the snails, save the trees, save the bees. We've heard that divert waste. We hear that again and again and again and again since forever. But with well, you're going to hear about some new terms. I'm not going to spit through all of them, but one of my favorite is presenteeism. I get that every single day. I'm in the building, I'm at my desk, I'm typing an email, and I'm thinking, huh, I wonder what I should have for dinner. I should try that new Chinese restaurant. I'm presenteeism all the time. Presenteeism means you're here, but you're not here. Um, so we want to reduce the amount of presenteeism. The difficulty I see with well is energy, water, waste. It's easy to quantify. It's easy to do a point total. Well is difficult because it's hard to quantify. You don't come home from work and say, hey, honey, I was 78% productive today. <laughs> I have no clue. I come home and I got some stuff done, but there's a lot of different things in well that we focus on for the first time. So when I do a well project, I don't sit down there with the architect and the design team and the contractors. I got to sit down with an HR rep. Say, are you going to sell food in this building? Because there's a whole nourishment category. And that thing just boggles my mind. I've read through it. What's bad for you? Is it fat? No, it's trans fat. No, it's saturated fat. No, you need protein. Not too much. You need carbohydrates. You know, it's like, you know what? When I go to the grocery store, I just look around and say, you know, you look healthy. Well, what do you eat? Can it be that simple? It's kind of like why fish are so thin, because they eat fish. It's that simple sometimes. 
So where LEAD and WELL are going is performance, performance, performance. LEAD and the U.S. Green Building Council is all buildings in. Because what happens is the design, the construction occurs, it, you put the LEAD plaque on and everybody walks away and we don't know how that building performs. Not to mention every building in the world is existing. USGBC wants to touch every building forever. So it's about the tracking the performance. And that's one of the pain points in WELL. The WELL certification is design, construction, and then the operations. Because if you want a WELL plaque, you want a WELL certification, one month after occupancy, a WELL assessor shows up and it's going to take an air quality test, a water test, a sound test, a light test. There's a lot of things that they're going to test for to prove that the design actually works. And then you get to recertify every three years. And that's where LEED's going now. When I get a LEED certification, in fact, I just got one last Thursday. And I accept it. And then this new button shows up. It's called LEED Zero and Recertification. I'm like, oh, they want to keep us in the system and prove that these buildings actually perform. So it's going to a performance-based is where the next LEED. So this is what we see. It's called ARC and... Once you're a LEED certified building, they want you to track energy, water, waste, indoor air quality, and thermal comfort. You put all that in and you get a score. It's good and bad. It's good because you can track and prove that your building performs. It's scary if you got a LEED goal at 60 points and your performance is at 52. It's like, whoa, now what? So it's a double-edged sword, but it proves that your building actually operates the way that you intended. The next one that's up here is net zero. Like I mentioned, so lead buildings attract tenants, retain tenants, you know, sell for more money. There's a lot of benefit to lead. But the next step, it's not just lead. It, owners and tenants and people are going to start to say, I have a zero carbon building. I have a zero energy building. I have a zero waste building. Tell me more about that. Well, we've tracked energy. We've tracked, we tracked these dynamics, and we've gotten to zero. So you're in a zero energy. So this is where LEED is going, is trying to get us to zero. Not to, well, silver, gold, platinum, yeah, that's great. But they want to go to zero. And it's funny, the exact same pitch I saw 10, 15 years ago for LEED, now they, take, they peeled off LEED and said zero energy buildings can do the same thing for LEED. And zero, you prove the performance. LEED, you said, well, we designed and constructed a very good building. We know that. But we didn't demonstrate performance yet. So... That's where I think this is going, and, not, and, and going back a step, this is ARC, but what they're doing at the highest levels right now, they're trying to take a lead ARC dynamic plaque with a well dynamic plaque and go to say it performs for the people, it performs for the planet, we all win. That's a few years away from now, but where this industry is going, what I see is performance-based and people-based is where I see it's going. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Amy Jewell. And um, as you heard earlier, I work in the city of Chicago mayor's office. I'm in a really unique role there, so I'm not an uh, architect or an engineer and, um, or any of those things. But what I really, what drives me to work every day and what I really care about is the environment and 
uh, quality of life in our cities and in the city of Chicago in particular. Um, so I'm in a really unique position. I work for a nonprofit organization that's partnered very closely with the city on energy and sustainability issues. I, I work day to day on energy policy um, and I'm full time in the mayor's office. The exciting part about that has pros and cons, of course. The exciting part about that is, is I hope to still have my job after the new mayor comes in. Um, unlike some city employees in the mayor's office who may or may not have a job. So, um, but really, you might be asking yourself, why is Amy here on this panel? What does the city care about this? Um, so taking a step back and looking, um, looking a little bit, uh, looking at the city as a whole, um, one stat that, that I say quite often is in Chicago, our carbon emissions um, about 72% come from the energy that we use in our buildings. That's everything from single family homes and two flats all the way up to skyscrapers, but still that number is staggering. 72% of our carbon emissions comes from the, the electricity and natural gas and any other fuels we use in our buildings to power our buildings. Um, so yes, there are emissions from the cars and trucks and other vehicles and other, a few other things, but really the buildings is where it's at. If you're hoping to do uh, anything to, to make a dent in those emissions to affect uh, climate change. So the city has, um, as many cities across the nation have done, has committed to the goals of the Paris Agreement and other things like that to try to reduce our carbon emissions um, as a whole. And so the only way to do that is to really address energy use in buildings. So that's kind of part of the big picture. But I think other than that, there are other, many other reasons to look at how we can make our buildings more efficient and more sustainable. Um, this drives jobs, local jobs, and clean jobs. Um, you know, there's, there's some environmental things where you, you might be, um, or other initiatives where it, it, it may not have that, that local impact, but when you need to retrofit a building or, you know, put solar panels on your roof or whatever it may be, likely you're gonna need a local uh, labor force to help get that project done. Um, and those are good clean jobs that we like to see. It also helps save money when you have a, a greener building that, that uses less energy. And like anything else, cutting waste in your supply chain or any other thing like that, um, that's always good for business, good for our institutions, uh, and, and help us to have a stronger economy. So it's not just about carbon emissions, it's about jobs and um, a strong economy, as well as cleaner air and other benefits like that. Uh, so that's why the city cares about this and the mayor's office as well. And so what I was gonna touch on very quickly um, that relates to this topic is the city's sustainable development policy. Raise your hand if you have even heard of it. Okay, not too many. Good, so I won't go into a lot of detail, but basically it is a set of requirements for certain projects that are built in the city of Chicago. Some of them are new construction and some of them are um, renovation, renovation, interior renovation projects. Basically, if you get a city assistance or city subsidy of any sort, then you would need this uh, sustainable development policy would be triggered. And I have some interesting stats. It's, it's kind of uh, a matrix of opportunity of options. Um, you have to achieve a certain number of points based on how many, uh, based on the type of projects you have. And you, there's flexibility in how to get there. One way to get there is to go for LEED certification. You get a certain number of points, and then you'd have to do a few other things to get all your points. Uh, you can also do other types of certifications. You can choose to do well uh, certification. So with this policy, it's about 40 to 45 projects a year, so not a ton. Some of them are very large projects, however. And I brought some stats uh, from the implementation of this so we can kind of learn a little more about it. 
So I know it might be tough to read at the top, uh, the top pie chart are some of the types of projects. Um, and you know, residential, uh, industrial, commercial, et cetera. So there's, there's a wide range. And then on the bottom side, uh, new construction versus renovation. So the, the key takeaway, about 20% of these projects that are subject to this requirement, about 20% are renovations. And uh, of those that are renovations, about three quarters of those are considered substantial renovations. So that's kind of the type of projects, about 92 over about a little bit over two years that have gone through this process. So you can uh, choose, uh, the top is just the type of city assistance that some of these projects are getting. Um, so you can choose two paths if you are subject to this requirement. You can either get certified, get a number of points through that, and then you have a few other things to do, or you can choose not to get certified. Um, and then you, you have, again, a menu of options to try to get to the points that you need. So a little bit over about 58% choose no certification. The rest of the buildings, choo projects, choose to get certified. Um, so we're seeing, it's, it's a wide range, but over half choose no certification. They just do other things to get the points they need. Of those that choose certification, they go for LEED or something called uh, Enterprise Sustainable Communities, which is uh, for residential projects, uh, certification for residential projects. Um, and then finally, I wanted to mention something that was really interesting to us. One of the options, oh, and I should mention only two of the 70, uh, excuse me, only two of the 92 projects chose to get the well certification. So it's new, it's, it's not one of the most highly uh, chosen options on the menu currently. We might see that change. Um, the top pie chart was the one I was most excited about. This is one of the options on the menu, and it says you have to go beyond the energy code, which is, as we learned, the, the floor, really, you have to get to when you're doing a, a new project in terms of things like insulation, lighting, your air conditioning and your heating, things like that. So the energy code sets all that for um, some types of renovations and all new construction. Um, if you go beyond the energy code in this process, you can get points. And a lot of projects chose to do that over half, um, or just around half. And, um, and many of them went well beyond the energy code by about 40%. Um, and some of them only went by 5%. So depending on how far beyond the energy code you go, you get different levels of points. So we, we saw a lot of projects choosing to do this from the menu, which was really um, exciting to us um, that, that, was, that was the option that a lot of folks chose. And the bottom shows some, some things around our stormwater. You could also go beyond the stormwater requirements. And a lot of projects chose to do, to do that. <clears throat> so that's just one policy in place. There are several others. But I think when it comes down to it, what the city really cares about is seeing the, the results. And um, maybe those performance-based requirements will help us understand these certifications more as time goes on, so which ones really lead to the results that we're looking for. So with that, I'll pass it along. Thank you, Amy. And thank you, Dave, for the fish joke. I'm still cracking up inside. Um, don't be surprised if you hear me use that at some point. Not today, but I'm going to file that one away. Um, so I work with White & Company, which is an integrated services firm. And for somebody like me, that's really important, because now, having worked with architecture firms and with engineering firms, as well as a sustainability consultancy, I now have the opportunity to work with our planners, our architects, our interior architects, full MEP structure, civil, you name it, all the way through construction. And so from a sustainability standpoint, I mean, for me, that's really satisfying. Um, but I think it's also really good for our projects um, because it reduces a lot of the disjuncture that happens um, throughout that process. 
I'm gonna keep this real brief, a couple fun things about myself. Of course, this is me on, on a really happy day, um, picking up my bees from the post office. And you know, I've been beekeeping for, for a long time, and folks are always a little bit surprised. Um, there's actually a lot of beekeepers here in Chicago, so don't be timid, reach out, we'll make it happen. Um, <laughs> But for me, you know, it's, you know, as Susan was saying, it's that opportunity to connect with nature, to get outside. We're all spending 90% or more of our time indoors. For many folks, you walk down to the garage, you jump in your car, you get to the office, sometimes it's in a parking deck in the same building, go up the elevator, down, and you reverse that, that path. And some people, with, apart from rolling your window down in the car on a nice day, don't really get any fresh air. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'd encourage everybody to take the time to get outside because that's really where we start developing that connection and that, that ethos. Um, it's always nice also to get the, the phone calls from the post office. Uh, Sir, your uh, bees are here. Can you come pick them up? And it's like, well, sure. What time do you open? And they call it like 4 a.m. <laughs> like, come now. <laughs> so quick, quick story. Uh, an industrialist and an environmentalist make a bet. And the industrialist's perspective is that, you know what, things are going well, business as usual is working, let's just ride it out. You know, there's really no problem. Of course, the environmentalist knows that, you know, science says there's, well, we're up against the, between a rock and a hard place. Um, both in terms of environmental sustainability as well as human health. There's a lot of work to be done. So they make a little bet as to whether the apocalypse, um, is going to happen. And in the meantime, that environmentalist is working his entire career to make sure it doesn't happen, working to lose that bet. And I can guarantee you everybody on the stage is fighting like hell to lose that bet. Um, and I'd really love for you guys to come along with us on that journey. The great thing is that it's a lot easier to make that case and it's a lot easier to bring people along now that we're talking about health. For corporate tenants, most corporations are spending less than 1%, more or less, on energy and utilities. You know, people like me have been fighting to reduce energy, get that return on investment for energy improvements for decades. It's less than 1%, you know, it's spit in the bucket. Yet, most organizations are also spending 90% or more on employee salaries and benefits. So while productivity is incredibly challenging to measure, and we all know we work better and we work more productively when we've got a view to the outside. Who would rather work in a room without windows? So we agree. Same as when we have got thermal comfort, and when we've got good lighting, clean air, access to good food, access to water, and all of these things that are within a lot of the leading health rating systems today. And so while we might not be able to accurately quantify the benefit of productivity gain, we know it intuitively. And I think anybody surveyed would say they would also agree. A small change in productivity far outweighs that return on investment for your energy improvements. Now, don't get me wrong, we have to stay focused on the ball. We do need to make those energy improvements and make sure they happen. That is of utmost importance for a variety of reasons. But we now have a business case that we can include these energy upgrades under the banner of health and building. A lot of the better lighting packages today that support circadian rhythm for our health also save energy. There's a lot of 
of nuance there and I think a lot of opportunities for synergies between what we would refer to as environmental sustainability and health. Um, and with that, I want to leave plenty of time here for us to dig into some of the questions that Emma has and we'll look forward to continuing the conversation. Great. Thanks, John. So, John, as you were just talking, you know, you say, um, you know, some of the things that we're starting to require in buildings are things like clean air, right? It seems like a basic human right to me. Um, how did we get here? How did we get to a point where we're now requiring buildings to have things like clean air and healthy food options and, you know, all the other things that we have in these rating systems? Anyone can comment. Yeah, there's, you know, currently 80,000 chemicals commonly used in industry. We have names for a thousand or a few thousand. We've tested far fewer than that. And we haven't tested any of them really in conjunction of how they impact our bodies when we're exposed to them um, concurrently. And so when you think about air quality in buildings, I mean, there's a few different sources. There's, of course, the building materials, and then there's what the occupants are bringing in. There's building operations. Um, and we really need to try to hit all of those different areas in order to provide good air quality. For a lot of corporate tenants, and certainly for building owners, um, it's also a risk mit mitigation opportunity. Because if we can document the air quality going into a space, then there's less likelihood that there's gonna be any litigation for bad air quality in that space, because the owner now can say, hey, listen, I've given you good air quality. I don't know what you brought into your space. Um, and so it really brings that accountability back to us as tenants and occupants to really use the spaces um, in healthy and productive ways. Can I add to that? Um, does anyone watch 60 Minutes? Okay. So a couple weeks ago, they had that uh, snippet on the, the federal case that like 21 kids are suing the U.S. government. Um, against climate change because apparently since the 50s, the government has known that burning fossil fuels pollutes the air and therefore causes climate change and is now threatening the younger generation's future. So they had a whole segment on it, how that everybody thought the case was gonna get shut down, that they were gonna lose, but it just keeps going and, it, and it's growing. And so if these kids win, then the government has to stop subsidizing fossil fuels. The tricky part is, we, as human beings, are protected under our constitution. Our environment is not. And so that's kind of where, when you talk about legislation and, and legality, that's kind of where we need to say, well, does our environment have rights, right? Like, so I can make dirty air because I'm affecting the air. I'm not necessarily affecting the person. Um, and so that's kind of the conversation that's going on is that how do we prove that the dirty air is affecting the person and then gets to John's point where the, the owner has to provide clean air. Because the air in our buildings are only as clean as the air outside. You know, we're, we're only working with what we got. So I think that's really important to kind of going forward, understanding like who's protected under what rights. And as these conversations go on, Ecuador is actually the first country that just ratified their constitution to have the environment have rights to kind of help push this uh, along. Yeah. Um, to that point, I mean, what's particularly scary is that there's an increasing number of individuals now that are taking consumer-grade air quality monitors into the workspace and measuring the air quality at their desk on their own accord. When they do fall ill, what are they gonna do with all of that data? So as an owner, as an attendant, it really helps to like actually document the quality of air going into the space with a higher quality sensor. 
Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to kind of um, Dave's original comment about codes and codes on codes and rating systems for codes. And, and Amy, you have a, a, a rating system that uh, rates rating systems, right? So let's, how did we, how, you know, how do we navigate this? Um, if you're a building owner, how would you recommend just starting? Do we pick one? Do we not? What's the roadmap? Um, yeah, leads the de facto one. Leads well known to designers, architects. It's it's proven. Um, that's the easy one to go to. And I talk. I work with some really big global companies, and I always ask, "How'd you come up with lead?" And they said, "Well, we didn't want to have to write our own sustainability code, so we just go to Silver, and we're good." But now they're waking up to well, and these factories, kind of back to their point for indoor air quality, they spit this dirty air into the environment, but before they spit the dirty air, they have to clean it. So they clean it with air abatement equipment, so they're not spitting this dirty air out. So they also address that. But, but LEED gives us a sense of comfort, <laughs> in a sense, because it, it's tried, true, and tested. Well is still so new, people are nervous. Like you said, two out of 90 plus projects have gone for well. Um, well version two just got released recently. It's a much better, uh, much more achievable. Um, well version one, uh, I think it was a little bit crazy because it was, it was made by medical doctors. That the facts are there, but they haven't talked with architects, designers, contractors, operators, say, okay, how do we actually do this feature? We don't know what's gonna happen. But I always joke and say, well, the first version of Coca-Cola had cocaine in it, and the first version of Well had a little cocaine in it too. You know, you wanna move a product, you know? Well, you I talked to uh, one of our big companies, or companies I work with sells candy bars. They sell a lot of candy bars. They make billions and billions of candy bars a day. And they have a health and wellness sustainability officer. And I went through the well building standard with them to say, should we certify all of your buildings through well? And they said, can't sell a Snickers in a well building. Mm -mm, not for me. Well, you could. Yeah, now you can, if you it's a smaller, could. not the, the bigger one. You just don't pursue the point. They, they, yeah. Um, <laughs> So they well woke up the food people, the, the soda industry, the candy bar industry, and um, that's where well version two now better applies to you know every building. Not to steal some of your thunder, but that's that's what I have seen. You know, fewer than two percent of our building stock pursues certification of any kind. You know, certification is important. And so, like on some level, we're kind of splitting hairs as to which certification you're going to pursue. But if you're sophisticated enough to do it for you know, reasons of you know, personal goals or organizational goals, then you wanna get into the nuance that we're talking about, about which one you, you should be pursuing. Um, and there are differences depending on what your goals are. Yeah, I would echo that. I was, my answer would be it really depends on what your organizational goals are. Is there a vision? Are there, what are the priorities? Um, maybe there's not a clear vision or list of priorities, at which case it's time to talk to leadership and management and help map, map that out. Uh, but lead and, lead and well and all the other systems, they kind of, each one has their own strengths and weaknesses and play to some of those different types of goals. Um, so it, it just, it, I guess it really just depends. But ultimately it's, it's, um, it's about what the priorities are. You know, I'm kind of taking a step back to uh, some people ask, why certify at all? And I've been on some lead-like projects. I'm actually on a well-like project right now. What does that mean? We're going to do all the well stuff. We're going to do all the lead stuff. We're not going to go and certify. Well, okay, so what happens in these meetings is, okay, we're not going to commission it because that costs more. We're not going to verify the outside. We're not going to do all this stuff, but we're going to say we kind of did it. Well, you didn't do it then because every building in the world is lead-like. Every building in the world is well-like. You can walk through any building and say, oh, that's a lead feature. That's what, did you certify? No. 
You, you didn't. So certification comes in to prove the achievements of the design and the construction team, and now with Well and Arc, we're proving the performance of these buildings. And once again, that's where I see the next wave is the performance of these buildings. Right, it's about tracking the results and making sure you're really hitting the targets that you've set. Great. And so kind of on that note, let's talk about the business case for LEED, Well, and other um, rating systems, right? So I know that there was, you know, all, there's always been a conversation around the investment for the, for the certification, and do, is there a return on investment for the certifications? Let's squash that right now. So I'd like for everyone to, uh, to comment on it. Well, there's, you know, we used to talk about green premiums, and these days we talk about the brown discount. You're not gonna find class one, class A office space that's not LEED, right? Is anybody in a class A office building that's not LEED certified? And so really it's not about the additionality of LEED. I mean, that's really par for the course these days. Um, it's what happens when you're not doing it and the money you're losing out on by not pursuing these certifications. Um, so as the contractor, right, our job is to get you in budget. Um, and a lot of times you kind of have that traditional mindset of anything sustainability costs more, anything lead costs more, this all costs more, and we just need slash for cash. Um, and so when we do that, we actually do ourselves a disservice because one, we're just making assumptions that we don't know. Um, and so at Pepper, what we've done is, let's say a building is going for certification or thinking about it, we go through the checklist and we basically put a price next to each credit if it actually even has a price. So that way, you like the client knows, like, oh, it's going to cost me X to go after this credit. Um, but then in addition to that, we do a return on investment analysis. So not only are we telling you, like, what your first hard cost, we're going to tell you what your uh, future operating cost of that particular uh, strategy is. And that way, the client can make the more informed decision. And so it's just kind of like putting as much information um, in front of the client as possible, and then just letting them make the decision. And by us doing that, I don't have to argue. I don't have to make a case. I'm just putting facts in front of them. And more likely than not, they're gonna either certify that building or do a sustainable strategy for that building because the data is making the case for me. Great, that's helpful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there is a cost payback. There's initial upfront cost. It's funny, we have a lot of discussions and arguments. Um, some people that I disagree with. I like talking to people I disagree with more than people I agree with, because when you agree with each other, like you're stuck in an elevator, big deal. Um, but when people disagree with me, I get picked on and say, you're a sustainability guy. Yeah, I am. So you don't care about spending other people's money. No, I, I do. We save energy to save on costs. We do all these credits that are most cost effective for your certification level, because what happens is the U.S. Green Building Council says, lead doesn't cost more, if anything, a fraction. Then you've got the industry professionals say, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. And USDBC says, okay, how much more does it cost? We don't know. So we're at this impasse. Yes, it, there is a premium. Yes, we get hired for a fee to consult on. Yes, they have to you know, do different steps throughout the process. But what we see is good contractors like Pepper, it's mostly standard practice. And it's information they probably already have. When I do work in Bangkok, I was there last year, it's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different world to talk about, okay, here's what ASHRAE is. Here's what an erosion and sedimentation control plan looks like. You have to talk real, because they don't do the same type of things we do here. Um, so there is a premium, but there's definitely a cost payback. And with well, like I love the slide where it says, hey, 90%, the bulk of our dollars are spent on our salaries and retaining our employees. Um, it's harder to quantify, but there's 
definitely something there. And I'm still waiting for those studies to come out to say these are well buildings, here's the retention rate, here's the healthcare costs have gone down, here's the absenteeism that's gone down. So we can start to see some hard facts there. You just don't have enough well proof, if you will, to see those numbers. But I think it's coming. I really do. Yeah, Dave, you mentioned uh, attracting and retaining the best and brightest employees. And I think that's important to all of our strategic objectives within our organizations. And I think that's a key difference with lead and with well. Because you can have a lead building that could be lead gold, lead platinum, lovely facility. But if the organization treats its employees very poorly, people still don't want to work there. It doesn't really matter if it's a lead building because a place you know, kind of sucks going to work. If you're a well-certified organization, you know, in many ways, because of the way well is structured, it's not only about the building facility itself, but about how the employee is engaging or employer is engaging with its employees regarding policy um, and other, I guess, more holistic view of health. Um, so the food that's provided that was mentioned earlier, or potentially maternity and paternity leave, or nighttime uh, work requirements or travel requirements, um, access to, to physical feature. fitness. So like all of these things come together. Really, when you see that an organization is a well-certified space, I think once this becomes more known in the market, like people are going to flock to those organizations because not only is it a good space to be working in, but it's a great organization to be working for. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. We've done some work on the West Coast with the Googles of the world, and it's like Willy Wonka when you walk through these, these offices, free address or hot desking. What is that? You can come and sit wherever you want. Oh, that's kind of cool. I go sit in the corner office, put my feet up and my laptop. No, there's another thing, and well, with nap pods, you can take a half-hour nap each day at work. I love I mean, that's actually one of my, when, I, when you do the bio, my hobby is fishing, swimming, yeah. My hobby is taking a nap once a day. I love a good nap. But I mean, back to your point, though, there's a lot of amazing things that you can incorporate as a company for health and wellness, and I think you're going to attract and retain some of that good talent. Great. Right now, there's, you know, what you guys would probably know over here, 10 or 15% engagement in employee-sponsored supplemental health care. So, you know, in the back of your employee manual, there's the smoker cessation programs and the grief counseling and all that stuff. Nobody, very few people really use those programs. Yet for mid-sized corporations, if you have over five, 700 people, um, it could be five or 600 bucks a head to institute those programs. If you have a well building, you've got 100% of your employees are engaged in your health program. I think that's really interesting and compelling. So it's been 19 years since LEAD was first introduced and five years since WELL, right? So let's fast forward 10 years from now. Where is LEAD and WELL? Are they around? Do we have one rating system for everything? What, what do you predict? Uh, that's kind of a political question because <laughs> WELL is for profit. USGBC is not. USGBC is nonprofit. And WELL, there's money going to people that had come up with the idea. So um, at, at those levels, it's really hard to bring them to the table. Um, I worked on Project Haiti, and it's well in lead, and you got the lead folks here and the well folks here. I'm like, come on, guys, let's, let's, let's work together. I've got a thermal comfort survey for lead, and the well folks says, well, it's not comprehensive enough. Okay. Can we come up with one survey that we can both agree on? Uh, but in 10 years from now, I think, I hope that we have one type of holistic rating system that says that people and the planet win from this and use that to morph and adjust your life. Because doing dual certifications is very painful. 
It's extremely painful. I'd rather just go through one checklist and say, you do these prerequisites, preconditions, and you get these credits and features, and you've got a healthy and environmentally friendly building. So I hope in 10 years, you see some type of performance um, mapped out for both. So I'm actually, gonna, okay. just to follow up on that, Dave, so you obviously have done a lot of these kind of co-certifications at the same time. If a building goes for LEED, do they typically go for well? Um, it's usually one and the same. We did one here in Chicago a few years ago, and it was a LEED Platinum. And a LEED Gold building recertified gold through ARC, and the tenant space was LEED Platinum, and we couldn't meet a couple of the well preconditions. Mm. And I talked to the IWBI folks. I said, guys, if we can't go for LEED or well on a LEED Platinum space in a LEED building, you got to dial this back. This is really painful. We want well on all buildings, not one well ornament to say, look, this is well. So, and I think that's the beauty of LEED. 40 points in LEED, it's a good building. 50 better, 60, yeah, that, put the paint in platinum, but let's let everybody play at the well on the lead table. And if you want to get crazy and do more and more, then you can. But right now, the first version of well was tough to get into. If, if, if I may, a couple of counterpoints. <laughs> um, one is that IWBI is a benefit corporation. So we need to come to terms with that. And there was a long time when I kind of railed, I admit I did rail against it a little bit, because it was a for-profit for -profit group. Um, but I've met these folks, and like, they're great people. And being for-profit actually enables the rating system to adapt very quickly and adjust to your needs as a user. Um, and it has changed remarkably over the last several years, all for the better. Um, I think it's easier to use, and it's actually becoming more robust and without so much of an onerous additionality. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, remember lead version one? You had to send in three-ring binders to get things certified. Seriously, there is no lead online. Well, lead online is still not a great tool. But <laughs> <laughs> it's come along. But you, you know but the, the, Well, one, one moment, Dave. The other thing is that I'm not sure we want one rating system. You know, nature, one of the fundamental principles in nature is diversity. And we need that diversity for resilience. Um, if we all put our eggs in one basket, we're all using this one awesome rating system, and then it's somehow co-opted, we lose everything. Um, we really want to have that diversity in rating systems, and I think it provides a lot more value to owners because they're able to align themselves with more specific goals within the organization. I, I, I well, I think in 10 years, we're going to see what we did, we saw in the last 10 years. It just pushes the needle even farther, and then things just become more of the norm, right? It pushes our codes to be better. It pushes designers to be better, pushes contractors to be better. And then it just pushes developers and owners to ask for more because that's just the way it is because the market's, you know, demanding it. So that's kind of what I just I see in 10 years. It's, it's also worth pointing out that we're a little spoiled here in Chicago because our codes are pretty progressive. Um, you know, our energy code is way beyond what would be required within even LEED V4. Okay? If you go to Indiana, where the energy code, I believe, is ASHRAE 2004, um, then meeting the LEED standard is a lot more additionality. You know, but... Here, like, we're already doing it. I mean, there's really not that, lead is just, it's kind of barely legal. You know, I mean, it's just a step above code. And we want to be way beyond that. And the code gets updated every three years in this state. So it's um, by law, every three years, the energy code gets updated. So very few states have that level of um, ratcheting up those requirements. The good thing is that well also references the same ASHRAE standards as lead. And so if you are pursuing a dual certification, 
Your mechanical systems, your ventilation, all of that stuff is gonna be on par. So it's really not that much from a engineering standpoint um, or even from an architectural standpoint. Your lighting package is probably the main difference between a well and a lead space from the actual built construction standpoint. Great, so I'm gonna ask one more question and then I'll open it up to the audience for questions. But so, so we had lead come onto the, onto the um, market in 2000 and then well, kind of filled that gap to address the, the human component, right? Again, to the future, is there a gap in, in rating systems now and what is it? Well, the next one they're putting on the map is lead for cities, lead for communities. So they want to take their arms around the whole city of Chicago and say, hey, we're all in. We're already certified. Oh, that's yeah. even better. See, step ahead of me. It's a plan, so, isn't it? Yes. Um, so I, maybe it's not one rating system. Maybe there's some overlap. We don't know. But from what I see, I know that for the last couple of years, U.S. Green Building Council is all buildings in. That means everybody's in. In my opinion, when we do a Class A office building, that's excellent. And there's a lot of achievements there. But I, I, I kind of um, use the example of the, the biggest loser, the TV show where people come on. If they had an Olympic athlete on there that lost a half a pound, you're like, yeah, he was a bobsledder for 18 years. He lost a half a pound. Big deal. When you see somebody that's 200 pounds overweight and they lose 50 pounds, that's good. I think we should get the energy hogs in the system and say, okay, your energy star score is four. That's pretty bad. All right, guess what? In three months, we can get you up to a 24. Still really bad, but you made some great improvements and we should mark that. Are you lead yet? No. Are you well yet? No, but you've made some great improvements. I, th I don't think we should forget about the energy hogs out there because that's gonna bring the whole um, carbon footprint down much more quicker than going from an energy star of 80 to an 84 in a class A office building. Still great achievement, still great, but I, I think USGBC is trying to find ways to get every building in, good, bad, or ugly, and improve. Yeah. All we can do is improve. I definitely want to echo that, and that's definitely one of the points I wanted to make. Same thing with our local chapter, the Illinois Green Alliance, is trying to really bring these solutions to every neighborhood across the, the city and beyond. And so I think what, where I hope at least it's going is that I, I, I personally, when I sit in the mayor's office, I don't worry about Class A buildings because I know they've got smart people and they've kind of got this figured out. But what about the class B and C? What about the neighborhoods that have been struggling? They need these solutions and they are demanding these solutions. Um, and we need to find a way to bring these um, technologies and these solutions to those neighborhoods. Uh, one other thing just that might be relevant to a lot of folks in the room. Uh, there's no lead rating system for existing commercial interiors. 4.1 now. 4.1. 4.1 is doing it. Yeah. Just I, sta I stand hit. corrected. I was so well, happy for that. Well, well is, you know, a lot of the projects are new construction or new fit outs, um, but you can apply it to existing buildings, including portions of existing buildings like interior fit outs or existing office space. And at some point, Energy Star will be rolling out a certification for tenant spaces. They're not there yet, yet but they're working on that too. Great. You want the last word? I'm going to talk about construction. Um, I do, like, okay, I came from the architecture side. I get the design. I get the end product. I get how that's super easily applied, but we don't have anything for the process of construction. And so that's where I kind of, I see a gap. I don't see anyone filling that gap. So we actually have a group of construction leaders across the country that come together and we're creating our own program. I mean, it's going to be voluntary. You're not really going to get a gold star or anything, but we're trying to outline like what can we do during the process to kind of mimic those things that you can find in lead or, or well to kind of help benefit 
those workers on the job site. Great. Wonderful. Okay, so let's hear it for our panelists. And I'm gonna open it up to the audience for questions. Jonathan has a mic, so please um, raise your hand and he'll come over to you uh, and get your question. Yeah. And my name is Sean Murphy. Um, I just, you didn't talk about Energy Star at all. I was just curious how that fits into this. And like I know the, the GSA now is less interested in LEED and more interested in Energy Star. And uh, I thought you could comment on that. I'm not certain Energy Star still has funding. It does. Yeah, we use it all the time. It was a soft joke. <laughs> I mean, it was shut down during the shutdown. It was shut down during the shutdown, but it's back. Okay. <laughs> um, Energy Star really comes into play with existing buildings. Um, so if you're going for an existing building uh, certification, we would use Energy Star to kind of track uh, performance and progress of that. Um, we have a few projects that we're working on that want to become net zero. And we set them up into Energy Star because it helps us track like them going to net zero and then the program helps educate them on what that means and different strategies. So Energy Star still is a thing. It's just maybe when you talk about Energy Star certified, I don't know if that's what you're referring to, we don't see that as much. Yeah, one other side note to that, we use Energy Star for the lead for existing buildings score, of course, but we also use it on our new construction to share energy data with the U.S. Green Building Council. Because as you go through a lead certification, it's like, all right, for five years, you've got to give us your energy and water data. All right, we'll set your account up through Energy Star. You can go in and grab it whenever you want. So we use it as a, uh, a portal to get ener building energy and water data to the U.S. Green Building Council, so they can go in automatically. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of addressed it. No, he said no funding. <laughs> um, that was usual. Was but, that, but he was... They, they, we use it, and even with the city of Chicago's energy benchmarking or, uh, ordinance, um, Energy Star is the primary platform by which buildings um, report their data. And so whether it's reporting to the USGBC or to the city of Chicago, the platform itself does have a lot of relevance as a, like a dashboard. Liz? Thank you all so much um, for all of your insight. I just had one question as you guys were talking about the gaps that are in these different um, certifications and something that I've come across through my career, you know, a lot of this is, is uh, geared towards large corporations, large buildings, mm. um, you know, not necessarily the one-off small business that's even, mm. even doing a 60,000 square foot build out or something like that on an interiors job. How do you, I guess, get over the hurdle with some of these companies that don't have you know, global presences and people internally that are focusing on this. I think that's a huge miss for LEED and WELL and everything because they don't have the money necessarily to spend for the premium mm -hmm. to get certified in any of this. So we do this LEED-like or WELL-like, but mm -hmm. at the same time, maybe that's a miss or maybe you have something that you've seen um, like LEED for small business or something. There's so many small businesses out there that are just missed in this? That's, that's a really great point. Um, and to that end, I do think that the lead light or well light, I mean, you want to identify what you're capable of doing. I mean, a lot of small businesses are pretty stretched, um, not just financially, but you just don't have manpower to really deploy all of these ideas. Um, so you really need to sit down and kind of prioritize what your goals are and just execute them on your own. 
And again, you're still going to attract and retain people by doing that. I mean, you look at a lot of startups that you know, now have the ping pong tables and everything else to bring people in. Well, you know what? Those ping pong tables, you think it's just like a, a, a pro proliferal, proliferous thing. And, uh, <laughs> but really, you know, it serves as a way to reduce stress, to enhance you know, the social connectivity. I mean, these are really important things within a workspace. Um, so there's a lot of smaller businesses that are taking steps in the same direction, even if they're not pursuing a certification per se. Yeah, and one example I can bring out is last fall, we certified the Sears Tower through a lead existing building. And everyone's like, wow, the Sears Tower, that's, yeah, it's four plus million square feet. We had like 50 engineers and people to talk to. Every vendor could come and sit down and say, here's your policy, here's your plan, it's tra everything's tracked. It was kind of easy. It was tough to get all the data in. There's a lot of information, but the process itself was, we got it. A couple of years ago, we certified a small local school and that was really painful. It was small and, you know, but there's one janitor guy that he's run too thin and it took us over a year to get all the information needed for the search. So you're exactly right. Smaller projects, smaller buildings with less of a team really can struggle through this system as compared to these big class A office buildings. And that's just nature. How do we get over that? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wish I had the great answer, but we did painfully go through with the school cert and we went through the Sears Tower in within a couple of months, we were through all the stuff we needed to get through. Hmm. All right, any other questions? Going once. Okay, well, oh, one over in the corner here, last. Thank you guys for the presentation. We learned a lot of information there. I'm new to understanding lead and well, and I was talking to some folks earlier. One of the questions that I have for you, because it does seem like, because you, you talked a lot about um, the cost of getting LEED certified and that certification. What dictates how those fees are established? Is it based on size or what is that criteria? The soft cost registration certification fees are based on size. Um, the soft cost for consulting, if you needed consultants, um, including energy modeling for LEED um, and otherwise, is probably also aligned with size. Um, Capital cost for construction, everything is aligned with size. <laughs> and length too, some people, yeah. you know, if you can build a four million square foot building in a month, um, it's gonna be less than if you build the same building in three years, because you're gonna be talking to me for a longer time. I, so we have, a, we have a time thing too in our estimate. I would add though that, you know, Well has got a perception of being incredibly costly uh, from a registration certification standpoint. For smaller projects, if you're dealing with a 20, 25,000 square foot fit out, it's not that much more than lead, okay? It really isn't. If you're dealing with a 700,000 square foot building, yes, your well cost might be four times more than lead. But there's a good reason for that. You are getting people coming out and doing air quality sampling throughout the space, your water quality testing, light monitoring, acoustics measurements. Um, there's a lot to it. You know, and that performance verification, you know, Dave was hitting the, the, the note a lot of this continuous reporting continuous performance verification that you don't get with LEED, you have it immediately with WELL. Um, and they are measuring all of those things in order to award your certification. Um, so as an owner, you know, it's, it's really great to have because you know you're getting what you paid for. Thank you. Great, well, thank you all for coming and we hope to see you at the next luncheon. Thanks everyone.